also you'll notice there's a couple different uh, small groups or medium-sized groups. There's one listed that's for young families, and there's another group called Phase 2, which I like the way they describe it. It's people who have no children at home or whose children are eager to get out of home. And uh, there were 18 of them last night, and I heard they had fish tacos with uh, fish caught by one of its members. So anyway, um, anyway, so I just pay attention to that. So uh, let me pray, and then we're going to uh, look into God's Word this morning. God, we believe in the Holy Spirit, and we say that not simply as a doctrinal assertion. We say that as a uh, fact of the reality that we ex- that it, we are existing in this very moment, that we're sitting on cheap white plastic chairs on an old gym floor, but we also believe at the same time we live in a world that we don't see, an invisible world in which your spirit is incredibly active. So I pray for every single person in every single chair and on the bleachers here this morning that we would all see what you want us to see and hear what you want us to hear. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear so we can become the kind of people you've designed for us to be, and that is full of the life and power that comes from God alone. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. We do this occasionally, but I want to start off with a uh, little quiz, and I'm going to pick on somebody I know here, Dean. Dean's going to be my uh, person here. So get up here, Dean. Get up here, Dean. I don't know Dean very well, so I'm going to totally embarrass him. Here's, this is the category, how do I get there? Okay, first question, Dean. Go to the next one. Normally, when driving from Bloomington to Chicago, you drive on I-65 from Indy to Chicago. However, northbound I-65 is currently closed because A, really bad accident, B, really bad chemical spill. It really is closed today. Really bad road construction, really bad bridge problem, or really bad public university nearby. What's the right reason? Why is it closed? Uh, Bridge problem. Bridge problem. There's a bridge out. Very good. Thank you, Dean. Next one. The bridge is out because, A, engineers noticed a 1 to 2 millimeter drop. Engineers noticed 8 to 9 inch drop. Engineers decided to widen the bridge. Engineers noticed serious flood damage. Or engineers who originally built the bridge were Purdue grads. <laughs> correct answer? E. He <laughs> says E. Actually, the correct answer is B, partially also D. The bridge actually dropped uh, 8 to 9 inches. But I, uh, who's to say the engineers may not have been Purdue grads? Anyway, next one. Uh, The official uh, Indiana Department of Transportation detour takes you off Interstate 65 for how many miles until you get back on to 65? A, 5, 10, 20, 40, or it seems like it takes forever and you find yourself in traffic jams in small towns. What's the correct answer? D, 40? The detour is 40 miles. I've been on it. That's why I'm saying this. This All right, next one. The bridge was closed on August 7th. Initially, the engineer said the bridge would be reopened in 48 hours. That was August 7th, okay. Now, when are they predicting opening the bridge? A, sometime tomorrow. B, sometime this week. C, sometime next week. D, sometime mid-September. Or E, sometime. Uh, Mid-September? That's what they're saying, mid-September, mid-September. This next one is not, uh, this next one is, uh, okay, wait, actually, two more. What is your preferred way of getting there? This is you, Dean. Specifically when navigating to a new destination or trying to avoid a detour, do you trust the map? Are you a map person? Are you a Garmin person? Do you trust Siri on your phone? Do you trust just your own intuition or do you just wing it when you're trying to get somewhere you haven't been before? Uh, This is about you. There's no right answer, just about you. Yeah, GPS. You're a GPS person. You trust Garmin. Uh, Well, I don't have Garmin. I I guess it would be Siri. I don't know. It's 
on your phone? Yeah. It's Siri. Siri knows all. All right, next one. This is a little bit more tougher. Typically, what is it like to be in the car with you when you encounter an unexpected detour, a painfully slow waiting period in traffic with no end in sight, or when you find yourself surrounded by idiotic drivers? There's no answer. I'm, not, I'm just asking, a, are you calm? Are you irritable? Honestly. I think I'm pretty calm. Friends? Yes, they say yeah, he's pretty okay. calm. All right, very good. Thank you, thank you. One more question. Go ahead and sit down. Audience. Here's one more question, though. Here's one more question. Typically, what is it like for you when God seems to be leading you in a direction full of unexpected detours, painfully slow waiting periods? When I say no end inside, I think of those times where you're stuck in traffic and you can't see the end. You try everything you can. You're maybe even one of those people that goes in the shoulder and tries to find painfully slow waiting periods. Or when you find yourself surrounded by idiotic people, what is it like with you when God does that in your life? How do you deal with that? I mean, in traffic, if we're all honest, most of us probably aren't like Dean. We probably aren't all calm, easygoing. Most of us are trying to figure out whose fault this is. Why can't they fix this bridge? Why can't we get this thing off the road? Why do they have to do asphalt paving at 3 in the afternoon, right? But what do you do when it seems like God's the one leading you that direction? Like you, you have a plan for your life. You have an agenda. You think you know how it's supposed to work. And then you get this detour that's like, where did this come from? And I think this is what God wants me to do, but it frustrates me. Or painfully slow waiting periods. Or when you find yourself surrounded by people, and I'm using the word idiotic, I'm not trying to make light of that word, but if we're honest, sometimes we do get that frustration of, ah, if these people would only do it my way, we'd have a, have a, I'd have a better life. Maybe it's your husband, maybe it's your wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, mother, father, son, daughter, roommate, whatever. We have these frustrations that God's put us in a certain place with people, or he's sending us a certain direction that seems weird, or we're standing still. I tell people that the most obscene four-letter word in my point of view is the word wait, right? So how do you deal with that? And is that, does God do those things, and what do you do? I mean, this is, for some of you, it's the start of a school year. For the most of us, a lot of us, it's just the start of another year. We have family issues, financial issues, issues with our kids. But we all have hopes and dreams, whether you're Dean's a college junior, or whether you're 70 or 80 years old or 53, like we all have plans, we all have agendas, we all have an idea of what we think is going to lead us to the life we've always wanted. The life we think, we at least think is supposed to be the life that Jesus said he came to give us, so sometimes we kind of put out our own little plan and figure it out and want God to bless the plan, but God often does other things. So here's what, to look at that, here's what we're going to do. We've been doing the last week and this week and next week, I'm just doing a few weeks on what I'm just going to call it DNA of Exodus. Uh, what, and not just DNA of Exodus, I think it's a DNA of the Bible and how God thinks and how God works and how we interact with God. So go to the next slide. What we're going to talk about is when the children of Israel, the Israelites, Moses, when they were in Egypt and they God rescued them from Egypt, then Moses was going to lead them to the promised land. So the yellow arrow starts Egypt, yellow end, arrow ends right before they go to the promised land in Israel. And how God led them through the wilderness. The yellow line is the straight line. The red line is the way they went. And I'll explain a little bit about some of the issues with that. But uh, what I like to say is God often, God flunks geometry here. Right? 
And let me, the, we're going to look at four passages about how God led the people. And let me say this, too. Some of you may know the story. There's a point in the story where the people complain and complain about what God's doing, and they say, we can't do this, and God gives them what I call the 40-year penalty flag. And he says, you're going to wander for 40 years. These four passages we're going to look at today happened before the yellow flag went up. So the four passages we're going to look at are the ways in which God actually was planning to lead them. So these aren't the penalty years. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the diversion, the red line, there were the penalty years. They had to wander for 40 years until a certain generation died off. We're going to look at four passages today that when you, when, you, when you read them, we're going to look at certain things that stick out, like why does God do it that way? All right, so here we go. All of them from the either book of Exodus or ones from the book of Numbers. All right, first one is Exodus 13. It should be on the screen. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the main road to the Philistine country, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said if the people are faced with a battle, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness. Now let me just tell you about how I read the Bible, even when I'm just on my own, this is on the, you know, my own private time, which I would encourage all of you to do. Find a regular time where you read the Bible, read through certain parts. Sometimes it seems like passages or words, they may not jump out into 20-point font, but sometimes it, it, they stick out almost in a highlighting kind of way. This particular passage, you know what highlighted to me was? Roundabout ways. Really? God? Straight line. I mean, yeah, you, you say in the passage that you don't want them to be have faith with battle and change their mind because of Philistines. But God, you could wipe out the Philistines with a snap of your finger. Straight line's always better, right? Shortest distance between two points is a straight line. I taught geometry once. I know that. You know that. Maybe you know that. So why doesn't God do it that way? Because you probably have an idea of what. What's next? What you want God to do for you, money-wise, dating-wise, marriage-wise, whatever. But it says God led them in a roundabout way. Like, <laughs> I think of the new roundabouts in Bloomington, and you might feel like, okay, I feel like I'm just going around in circles. And see, one of the things, uh, one of the lessons from this passage, as well as the rest of Scripture, I think we learn about how God leads is sometimes we mistake the destination for the direction like for example if i felt like god was saying to me uh you know walk to the basketball goal that's where you're going to end up well i assume at that point just right there right god gave me the def destination i figure out the map i go there well then what happens is you go a few steps and god says now turn right and you're like but it's right there god i know I'll turn right okay and then he says, turn right again. You're like, wait a minute, it's back there. God knows where he's going to get you. But we often confuse his destination for our own interpreted direction. Focus on the destination, but let God be the one that leads you on how to get there. Because we tend to think, straight line, thanks to the destination, God, we kind of kick him out of the car. And because we don't want him being our GPS voice. Turn left, turn right, make a U-turn. We don't want that. We just want to get there. Sometimes God leads us in roundabout ways. Next one, Exodus chapter 14. The Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp at Pi-Hariath. Then Pharaoh will think, 
the Israelites are confused. Now, they just left. Pharaoh wasn't happy about them leaving. Pharaoh didn't want them to leave. They were like the economic lifeblood of Egyptian culture. They're trapped in the wilderness. And he, Pharaoh, will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. All right? Highlighted thing, everything that jumps out to me. Turn back. Okay, God, we're going this way, and you're saying go this way. Not only are you saying turn back, make a U-turn. But you're saying to turn back and walk into a trap. If you know this story, and if you don't, I'll tell you what they were walking into. They were walking into a situation where they had the Red Sea on one side of them, and Pharaoh's army was going to be coming from that way. And God set them up. God set them up. God sent them into a trap. And of course, if you can read part of the rest of that chapter after, the people start complaining, Moses, come on. It was better back in Egypt. What are we doing here? We're going to die here. They're going to kill us here. There's, we're stuck between a rock and a hard place, Moses. What are you doing? And, and they're also complaining to God. What, I mean, they don't want to say directly to God because we know that God might strike us with lightning. We complain about other situations. But God said, no, I want you to go back because then God says, I have planned this. So you're in a place where you're stuck between a rock and a hard place and you're in a trap and God planned it for you? Really? I thought God was all about, woohoo. But it says, no, I've planned this so I can display my glory, not to Pharaoh and his army. They all died, remember, but through them. So who was the intended audience to watch this lesson happen? It was the Israelites themselves. Everybody else died. He wanted them to realize no matter what situation you find yourself in, if you trust me and rely on me and listen to me, I will always lead you to life. It may not be the exact way you thought it was going to happen, but God put them in that very situation so they could learn about what he was capable of. And you might think, well, God, they had to go through fear and anxiety and complaining and all this stuff, and Moses was ripped in two, like, I don't know what to do. But sometimes maybe that's what we need to be going through before God finally has a place to get our attention. Sometimes God wants you to turn back. Sometimes God does give you a U-turn. You know, make a U-turn. He doesn't do it with that English-British accent like your GPS might do it. But sometimes we have to do that. Next one. Exodus chapter 23. I will send my terror ahead of you. I will make all your enemies turn and run. And at that we all say, yeah, that's the kind of God I want. Send terror ahead of me, make my enemies turn and run. Then God kind of qualifies it a little bit. But I'm not going to drive them out in a single year. Even though God could do it in a day. He could do it in a moment. <laughs> They're dead. I'm not going to drive them out in a single year. Because the land would become desolate and the wild animals would multiply and threaten you. I will drive them out, say these next words of me, a little at a time. One more time. A little at a time. <clears throat> one, one translation translates it little by little. Until your population has increased enough to take possession of the land. Hey God, what, a little at a time? Seriously? That makes us, you know, it's going to be a kind of a, challenge for us to be over a year or more with all these enemies around us why can't you just 
You can knock them all dead. You can, you can remove these obstacles in front of my financial plans, my relational plans, my career plans. You can do that, God. Come on. I mean, I'm reading this, but I remember I was reading in my basement. I'm thinking, come on, God, a little at a time? I thought you were bigger than that. And it reminded me, there was a time, oh, I don't know, it was probably 10, 15 years ago, 15 years ago, where there was a certain career move I wanted to make. There was a certain job in ministry out of Bloomington, somewhere else, that I thought, I think I'm ready for that. I want this. I'm ready for this, you know. And I was, it was a strong desire. Like some of you might have a strong dream or desire. You may think you're ready for a certain job, ready for to get married, ready for kids, ready for the next step in your business or career. There's all things we think about, I'm ready for that. And it wasn't happening. And I was kind of having this little bit of, a lot, lot of bit of conversation with God. But I, this one particular day, I was going out to California for a conference, going to land at the Burbank Airport near L.A. And um, as you get closer, the pilot says, uh, there's a problem in the weather, we have to circle the airport. So if you've ever been in an airplane that circles the airport, you feel the plane go, and then you So five minutes later, same thing. Okay, second circle. I wasn't feeling good that day. I don't know if I had something goofy to eat that morning or what, but I wasn't feeling that great. I was tired. Long flight to Burbank. The pilot comes on again. Uh, looks like the weather really still hasn't cleared up, so we have to circle again. And then it's like, you can feel it. I'm, I'm not sick as a dog, but I, I'm getting a little bit ticked off, right? It must have happened like five, six, seven times. And one time, on the, about the eighth time, it felt like the 29th time, you could tell the plane was circling again. And in, I almost said it out loud. I said it loud enough for my brain to hear it. And I was yelling at the captain in my head, land the blankety-blank plane. But I didn't say blankety-blank in my head. Land the plane. And as soon as I had that burst of anger, I honestly felt like God was saying to me, okay, Matt, if the pilot lands the plane now, you'll be going into danger and possibly destruction. And Matt, you know that job you want? You're not ready for that yet because if you go into that now, you don't have the capacity to handle what's going to be thrown at you. You'll be heading into danger. I'm protecting you from danger and destruction. And it was like, oh. I still wanted the pilot to land the plane. But, but it was like sometimes God will prevent you from going into an area of your dream and your desire because he knows you're not, you don't have the capacity. The, the Israelites didn't have the capacity to oversee and, do super, and, over, and, uh, and to supervise the land. He said, well, the wild animals will take it over. He wanted them to have the capacity. And when I do this, I mean the capacity of soul, the capacity of spirit to handle that new relationship or to handle that new job or handle that increase in money or handle the kids you want to have. And I'm not saying if you don't have those things, God's saying you're small and you can't handle it. But sometimes that is what he's saying. I want you to have a capacity of character and of spirit. And then when, you read, when, that, when that comes in your way, you will steward that with incredible joy in life. So that's what he's telling the Israelites. I'm going to do it a little bit of time. And it requires us then to have patience of soul, patience of spirit, and absolute trust in God. Because what happens is, Let's be truthful. What happens is when God starts doing things a little bit at a time, 
we get impatient and we want to be the car that goes on the shoulder of the road in a traffic jam, zoom down the exit because we're tired of waiting. Some of you may be tempted to do that in your relationship. Some of you may be doing that. I mean, I didn't get married until I was 30. And there were times where I thought, God, I want to get married sooner. And you know and I know the temptations that you think, well, if I'm not going to have that till I'm, uh, if God's not giving me that now, I can, I'll find other ways to make sure I have the joy that I think I'm missing out on by not being married. And you know what I'm talking about. Because God was just going a little bit too slow for me. But I'm so glad in a lot of different ways now. I mean, I'm, when I married the right person finally. <laughs> I mean, finally, first marriage. But you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I married her. But I look back and I tell people, if I would have got married when I was 24, 23, 27, I'm not sure I'd have, I'm not, just not sure where I'd be today. I don't know. So God knows. I'm not talking about just marriage or relationships or money or jobs or whatever. God knows exactly what your capacity is. He will, he will never give you anything beyond what you can bear. Scripture says that. But he will also, he's, he's, he is absolutely committed to your joy, your wholeness, and your life. He's committed to that. He's not a killjoy. God is committed to your joy. That's what he says. Last one. Numbers chapter 9. You might know, remember from the story that the, the, this whole mass of the Israelites were being led to the desert by Moses. And um, they were led by what the Bible says is a pillar of fire at night and a cloud at day. So there was some kind of... Uh, Something in the air, in the sky, that Moses could determine whether it was moving or not. And that's how God led them. It was kind of like God's kind of GPS system. And, of course, God didn't go in a straight line, which we already talked about. But here's what the Scripture says. When the cloud lifted from over the sacred tent, the people of Israel would break camp and follow it. Right? Cloud lifts, they follow it. Moses, yeah, I think the cloud's moving. Checks with his fellow leaders. Yeah, it's moving. Let's go. Pull up the stakes. Grab the goats. Let's go. Whether the cloud stayed above the tabernacle for two days, a month, or a year, the people of Israel stayed in camp and did not move on. But as soon as it lifted, they broke camp and moved on. You know what part of this passage almost literally got me to throw my Bible across the room in frustration with God? What part? For a year. Okay, we can wait for a day, God, in the desert in our campsite. We need the rest. We can relax. A month, we can handle a month too. It's time for our kids to kind of play. We, can, we don't have to worry about up, uprooting our tents or putting that down. But come on, God, a year in the same place when you told us where we're supposed to go? I mean, my first reaction to that was that's not fair to Moses. Because I can imagine Moses, however he did it, maybe out of the tent and people are like, hey, Moses, are we leaving today? We've been here for like three months. Um, no, the cloud's not moving. Moses, come on. We're tired. This is a boring place. Our kids are bored here. There's no TV reception, whatever. And Moses is like, well, it's not moving. Eight months. Moses, we're ready to go. I thought we were going to the promised land. Moses is like, it's not moving. Moses, come on, man. And Moses probably goes back to his tent. And if I were Moses, I'd be like, come on, God, move the cloud. What are we waiting for? The Bible doesn't tell us what God was waiting for in those situations. Just waiting. But for a year? 
I mean, I, I, seriously, I, I was like, I was like, oh, I can't believe this guy. And like I said, wait is a really hard word for all of us. I was going to say most of us, all of us. I mean, we hate waiting in traffic, and we hate waiting when we don't even see the end. So God doesn't always tell us you're going to wait here for a day or a month or a year. He just says wait. Wait until you take that next step in that career. Wait till you take that next step financially. Wait till you take that next step relationally. Wait till you take that next step in your marriage with your kids, whatever. Wait. And we're like, okay, God, I can wait. I just need to know when it's going to end. I mean, I don't know about you. When I'm in traffic stuck, if I at least can see the end or I can know from getting on my phone what's the problem on I-69, if I can know, at least I feel like I wait easier. But God sometimes says, no, I'm not going to tell you when this ends. On, God, really? Can't you, I mean, I want to get there. I, I want to I be the kind of person who is abnormally loving, joyful, and courageous. I want to be that kind of person. And God, I have a plan for how I think I can get there. And you're kind of messing my plan up and you've put it on hold. And I'm waiting and I don't like it. But they waited. So here's the question of the day the year, the month, whatever, will you trust Jesus no matter matter how he may lead you? Some of you, I mean, start of a new year in a lot of ways, some of you are facing a variety of different kind of decisions. Some of you know that God's leading you to take a step in a direction that may cause some turmoil with people around you, but you know it's the right thing that God's asking you to do. Maybe it's stepping away from sin. And you know God's called you to do that. He's already told you that. But you know in doing that, it's going to cause some turmoil. You're looking for an easier way to make that happen. You want to step away from but keep the waters calm. But God's just saying, no, just step away. Or maybe it's a decision about your future. Maybe it's a relational decision. Um, Just recently this week, I had a decision about a money decision where honestly, I felt like God was saying, not today. Don't click that button today it was involving a large amount of money for something but i felt like god was saying don't don't click that button today and i don't watch a start muck and i wasn't trying to see what was up or down but i felt like god just said don't click it today i may have just misread god i don't know but i didn't click it and you don't know but god may say wait just wait wait on getting that next car wait on getting that wait and you're like but we have it all figured out god wait so will you trust jesus no matter how many lead you. John chapter 10, the Bible talks about Jesus. He calls it, Jesus says this about himself. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. So his promise is he will lead you. He knows your name. He knows your situation. He knows your dreams, your hopes, your aspirations. He says he knows you by name. He will lead you out. And this, wrapped around this passage in John chapter 10, he talks about abundant joy, abundant life, peace, forgiveness. So that's where he wants to lead you. He wants to be a loving, joyful, courageous person. That's where he wants to lead you. He walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. Now you might think, well, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I heard God lately and that's okay. I mean, one of the basic assertions of what we believe the Bible says is that we believe that everybody can have a conversational relationship with God. We believe that's possible for even ordinary people. It's not simply for the super saints. And part of what we talk about at Exodus is how do we become those kind of people? How do we know, how do I know if God was saying for me to click yes or no on this financial thing? How do I know when I knew it was time to ask Kathy to marry me? 
how do I know when it's time for me to change jobs? There's certain ways you put your you, you immerse yourself in being a friend of Jesus in Scripture, being a friend in prayer, and that's what friends do. They talk. Um, but it's not like a puzzle. It's not rocket science. It's it's as relational as your relationship with your best friend is. And that's how Jesus said he talks to people. And he did not. He doesn't. I knew one friend one time that said he used to pray about even which washcloth to use in the morning. I, I don't think God's that concerned about those kind of things. He was so frustrated. He was so kind of concerned about doing the will of God. He would pray about which washcloth to use in the morning. Blue, cream. I don't use one personally. That's okay with God too, I think. All right. But there are things that God does care about. And sometimes the things he cares about, you don't necessarily think he cares about until you start moving that direction and you kind of feel this check in your spirit. Like, no, don't. Like, well, I don't know why not, but I feel like God just wants me to. Some people call it a check in their spirit. Some call it a prompting. Some people call it a whisper. All kinds of terminology can be used for that. But we want to be the kind of kind of people who absolutely will trust Jesus wherever he takes you. And he will, as his promise says, lead you to joy, life, peace, mercy, and forgiveness. So uh, let's pray together. God, we do uh, we trust you. It's easy to trust you when you lead us in the way that makes sense to us. It's incredibly frustrating to trust you when what you ask us to do seems irrational from our point of view. But we want to trust you more. We want to want to trust you more. And I'm going to actually uh, I'm going to ask you to do this. If you're facing a decision right now, big or small, but maybe to you it's big, um, and you're just not sure what God's saying, or maybe you're wrestling with what God's saying to you, you're not sure why he's saying that, but you know what he's saying, um, I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to ask you, everybody else have our eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to stand, if that's you, if you just say, like, I, I think I know what God's saying, I don't know if I want to go there, or I not sure, but I want to know. So just stand if that's. I don't know. I'm fighting God. I hate waiting. I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to go outside the lane because I hate waiting. And then let me pray for you. God, your word says that when we ask for wisdom, you give generously. And you don't find fault in us for asking. You don't accuse us of having little faith or no doubt. But it just says if we ask, you give generously. So for every single soul, every single person that's standing up, and even for the rest of us who are going to be facing these things tomorrow or next week or next month, God, I pray especially for these people standing up, you would give them wisdom, and they would know you would give them clarity and peace, because it seems as if peace is often the thing that you use to lead us the most. You lead us toward, even though it seems confusing, we feel peace. So I pray for peace and courage, because stepping in the direction that you ask us to go often requires pushing through all kinds of fears. So I pray for peace, I pray for courage, and I pray that they would hear you 
clearly and accurately, and you would give them the courage and the peace to take the steps you asked them to take to become the kind of people you wanted them to be. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. We finish every Sunday at Exodus with communion, and we do it because, uh, like I've said other times, communion is a ritual. I mean, it's like if you grew up Catholic or Episcopal or some churches, they do it every week. And there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes you may have kind of like it just feels like blah 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 and you kind of lose the sense. It is a ritual, but it doesn't have to be a meaningless ritual. There's meaning behind when Jesus tells us to do this. He didn't tell us to do it every week. We just have chosen that that's the time. But what we do here in a moment, we s- we'll start singing a few more songs, and everybody's welcome to take communion. We invite you up. We don't dismiss by rows. We don't check your, uh, if you've been a good boy, a good girl this week card. But we do say that if you intentionally giving God a straight arm at something you know he's told you to do or stop doing, it's to your own benefit not to take. Um, but perfection is not the standard. Openness to the spirit of God and Jesus leading you is the standard. So any, everybody, broken people are welcome. If you're not broken, at least get down, right? So here's how we do it here. Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood, shed for you, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He's, he's asking us to remember Sometimes we tend to think, well, he's wanting us to remember how much he hurt when he was in the cross and how much it's your fault that he's hurting. No, he's not wanting us to dive into self-contempt. What we're remembering is the promises he gave. Remember me. Remember all the things I said would happen if you were a devoted friend of mine. If you follow me, I will lead you. So as you're taking in the bread and the cup into you, you're basically, it's a statement of trust. It's not a statement of you're not earning points. It's a statement of trust. I want more of your spirit in me. Here's how we do it at Exodus. The band can come on up. Uh, we, we offer the bread to you, and we'll have people just be lined up the three aisles. And you just tear off a piece. Just tear off your own piece. Then we offer you the cup. Just dip it in the cup yourself. This is how we do it here. There's no deep reason for that. It's just dip it in the cup. Most people eat it right away. Some people take it back to the seat. It's up to you how you want to do it. All right? So, uh let me pray, and then the band can start, and then we'll take. Jesus, we're grateful. We're grateful that you gave yourself for us, not simply to give us into heaven after we die, but you gave yourself for us that we would have an abundant kind of now life, a kind of life that is full of the joy and the peace and forgiveness and mercy and goodness that we've all want to be a part of. And we know that comes only from you and through you. So, Jesus, we thank you that you, through your death and resurrection, open up this new and living way. And so we take in gratitude and we take in great expectation of what you will do in our lives. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. When I come to you in prayer Lord, have mercy. When I wonder if you're there, Lord, have mercy. When I cannot find the way, Lord, have mercy. Should my heart begin to stray, Lord, have mercy.
Great. 
sing it to him. Is your faithfulness, your faithfulness, how great, how great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness, how great, how great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness, how great, how great. Is your faithfulness, your faithfulness, how great, how great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. God, you are a friend that is faithful beyond any friend we've ever had and ever will have. You're a friend that's kind, that's patient, that's loving, that's good. You're the friend uh, that we've always wanted. And your, and your faithfulness is great. You will never leave us. You'll never forsake us. You never lead us down a path of our own destruction. So we love you for that. So now, may the Lord bless you and keep all of us May he make his face to shine on us. May Jesus look you in the eye this week. May he give you peace and joy and abnormal courage. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming.